Welcome to a Drop Tent Media Production. Welcome to the Lone Stakers Podcast. Hi, I'm Albert Davis, and I'm a solo staker on the Ethereum blockchain. And I'm Tommy Harold, and I'm a solo staker. Both Tommy and I are crypto enthusiasts, navigating the world of Ethereum solo staking. We're not experts, but we're on a journey to learn more. So join us as we explore, learn, and stake our claim in the Ethereum network. Welcome, welcome, welcome to another episode of the Solos, the Lone Stakers uh, podcast with me, Tommy Harold, and Albert Davis. Um, this is a podcast where we take a, a shallow dive into the world of cryptocurrencies, uh, blockchain, Ethereum, and most importantly, solo staking. Um, today, we have the honor of having a guest, a special guest, our very first guest. Um, and he is JD Cord. Um, so welcome, JD. Um, we're gonna have uh, hopefully a, a great conversation today. Um, and we're gonna we're gonna dig in some exciting topics. Thanks for having me, guys. Glad to be here. Very, very, very good. And I'm glad you you mentioned um that we're solo stakers. You know, the lone stakers are the the solo stakers. And I would say chief amongst the solo stakers would be JD. I was thinking about this <laughs> earlier today. No, I, I mean, I, I sometimes play around with language and words, but, um, you know, with decentralization, it's like JD is a, a champion of decentralization. Um, so, yeah, it's really, um, really great for us to have you as as a guest today. Um, really important because you're, you're, you know, you really do help people. Uh, run nodes in the in the pure way and decentral and decentralized way. Um, so, yeah, JD, how did all this? How did this? How did it start? How how did how did this all begin for you? A little bit about the the journey, your crypto journey. Yeah, um, I think my crypto journey probably started in about 2014, uh, 2013, uh, and typically with Bitcoin, I think. Uh, I was very excited to see something being done after 2008 and the financial crisis that happened. Um, I don't think Occupy Wall Street really worked uh, in changing anything. And Bitcoin and the the white paper that Satoshi wrote kind of formulated some problems, but most importantly, suggested a solution uh, and 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 a build out of that solution and i was really excited uh by that and then by 2013 2014 this idea of a shared database had come about through ethereum and i was uh, fortunate enough to read vinay gupta's article about programmable blockchains and um it was a you know i suppose changed my life moment really uh you, we, i was working as a um working with software teams trying to build software at scale and you know hyperscale i suppose and the idea that you didn't need to build out of a database create all this logic talk to some other logic to talk back into a database but there was just one database um struck me as a hugely elegant um engineering solution through a couple of different problems one being this massive wealth centralization that was occurring 
through data platforms. And then secondly, the redistributive um, ability for, yeah, if Gmail's sort of written using a shared database, then, you know, maybe Google can get 80% of the value, but then maybe 20%, the user gets back for, for putting their data and time into the app. I think that that's really where my my sort of starting premise was. Um, I think also in in looking back at those years, it's interesting to see how wrong you are about so many things and what you think is inevitable from when you first encounter an idea to then where it actually lands up. Um, and you know, when I first encountered Bitcoin, people were talking to me about payment systems and how easy and frictionless it is. And you know, now, you know, I don't think. Um, you know, you're you're buying cups of coffee or pizza anymore with Bitcoin. Um, it's it's seen very much more as a kind of platinum or gold like asset class that you store and keep safe and and see its value go up. Similarly with Ethereum, I don't think that the the, the Gmail application or rewriting a social network using Ethereum has made sense yet. But also perhaps fundamentally because the Web two sort of software engineering thought and effort that's gone in to make these social networks and make these core tools we use on the internet so compelling, there's no point re-engineering them. Um, and the ability to do so takes a lot of effort and time and people are interested in other problems. And where we end up and what we what, where we see Ethereum right now is this you know, financial fabric for a new digital, digital economy. Um, but I think it will morph into other things as we go along. And, and so one of the reasons why it's so exciting to be in the space. Um, you know, I want to just comment. I mean, there's so much that you said there. But you're the first time I've ever, ever heard anyone connect Occupy Wall Street with digital currency. And I think the really, reason, yeah, yeah. It's a, and it's a it's a great and beautiful connection. I mean, I was in New York City during that time. There's a place called Zuccotti Park downtown, and people yeah. had camped out there for months and months and months. And there was there was this feeling of like you know. Um, like the the Vietnam War protests or something like that, you know that there was a social social movement going on, and then uh, it did. It kind of got shut down, and everybody sort of that whole thing disappeared. But I, yeah, the the idea of of um, Bitcoin and digital currency sort of having uh, their roots in that same time period. Well, I mean, we know it's connected to the two thousand eight financial crisis, but the Occupy Wall Street and and digital currency connection. I, I'd never heard that before, so uh, I, I like that. Well, you know, would you, would you, you mentioned Gmail and the data sharing. Um, the kind of my beef with Gmail, and it's like literally happening right now, is that there's no cost, since there's no cost, well, there is a cost, but the economic incentives don't seem quite right because the cost is, a, we get spammed, and B, our information is used by Google and other tech companies to do other things like marketing and things like that. And as a user, you don't really like either of those costs. Um, and I, I always, I, when I, one of the things that kind of intrigues me, these possibilities of apps that can be built uh, might have to do with things like having a little micro payment somewhere inside of an app, which would be very, very small, but would cut down like where someone could send out a million emails for free. Now, if it costs them even a 10th of a penny now to send out a million emails could cost them 
you know, maybe a thousand dollars and they might not send out as much uh, spam. Any, any thoughts on that aspect of uh, this world that we're entering? I think, I think it, it is really interesting to see the stuff that flies and takes mass adoption and the economics play um, in a mixed soup with the user experience. And so there was a decentralized option on data storage, right, that came about, uh, you know, forget Gmail. I, I don't think Gmail will get replaced at all. I think Gmail um, ends up being like water and electricity. It's a core utility. And, and the thing that's interesting about that is, is that it certainly isn't right now from a financial perspective treated in that way. Um, it, it's the, the wealth creation opportunity of Gmail is massively centralized. But you can't in, in, entirely blame Gmail or Alphabet for that. I think that's that's a that's a combination of a law of unintended consequences and thinking really hard and working really hard about a great user experience. Um, and and again, when 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 Google came about, the idea of giving your very best product, your very best product away for free, because there'd be this back end opportunity to monetize on data, that was an innovation. You know, now we see it as a cancer. But at the time, it was a real innovation. And so I, I think that we have to perceive Web3 as being more about an evolution and what we're going to build um, rather than moaning about what we have right now. And I'm not suggesting you're moaning about it, but, but I think that this idea that you can, you can change the economic model a little bit, make the user experience maybe a little bit less than Google, but it's because there's some kind of purity to it, you you will see adoption. I just don't think that's the case. And because it's a commodity, because it's like water and electricity, no one cares. They just want to turn the light switch on. Right? I think it's a bit like that. Uh, yeah, no, I, I I can agree with that. And I think there are there are certain models that are trying to push the the purity of approach and and kind of like using that as their sales pitch. And there is a a, a niche adoption of people who are aware of the anicious tentacles of the big data um, or who are incredibly security minded that kind of like that do adopt those products. But in, in, in my perception and so far, it has never gone beyond, um, gone beyond those, that user base. Um, but I, I wanted to um, go back to, the, the story that you described of, of kind of like your your overarching progression through the last what 15 years of of cryptocurrency and you, you did it from a very um theoretical uh, perspective but actually like I know you we're good friends I know that you're knees deep in a very um technical and personal and experiential uh, manner in in all things ethereum and, and and blockchain and and so i wanted to like dig a little bit deeper into the the, the kind of like the nuts and bolts of your progression it, it's not just something that's like a great idea that you've done a lot of reading about and you're excited about the potentials you've actually like really got involved and 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 had some some interesting experiences in the in the crypto and particularly the ethereum and solo staking space um so yeah like, can you can you give well, us some of that? Yeah, for sure. And I think I think actually to, to to turn that lens on my own medicine, you know, 
launch nodes as a business focuses on trying to get people to solo state themselves, we we have found ourselves in a situation whereby anyone who we're working with in a retail context is kind of a HNI in so much as you've got 32 Ethereum um, or multiples of it. But our, but our goal was that, you know, rather than you, 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 you hand back your Ethereum to a platform, the idea is, is that you get to own some of that wealth independently that would normally be aggregated into a platform by being a solo staker. And so I wanted to do it myself with my own Ethereum. That that's the simple point in terms of the textured bit. When I, you know, when I understood that Ethereum was going to become a proof of stake network, um, I didn't do proof of work mining. Um, you know, I couldn't afford to, and uh, I didn't have uh, the the flexibility to. But couldn't afford to from what perspective? Well, I think I I, I couldn't afford. To, I had young children actually from 2012. I, I had a lot of young kids and not a lot of young kids. I only had one, but it felt like a lot of time. <laughs> and and uh, as any parent will tell you, and then in 2015, I, I had my second. But the, the point is, is that I didn't feel I had the headspace to do to do the proof of um, work model. Um, and, 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 you know, perhaps that was a mistake, but um, that, that was, that was definitely there. And, and also I didn't feel it was the elegance of proof of stake, right? That's what I was really mm -hmm. there for. And so accumulating mm -hmm. Ethereum to be part of that and 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 see how that grew was was really part of it. And and the business we've built is about what I wanted to do myself. And going back to that, that, that user experience in terms of when it's so good, it's just impossible for people to move. I think we, uh, you know, solo staking right now has a poverty of user experience in, in so much as it's really hard. You know, there's a command line interface. You've got to you know, do all these things. And I think that what our goal next in terms of, you know, trying to solve for solo staking is creating a user interface that still means it's your node on your infrastructure and you're running that user interface on your infrastructure. You're not accessing someone else's platform. Um, but it does give you kind of like a wizard in in old in very old money so sort of setting up your pc or xbox 4 or, or your iphone and even older money maybe you know sort of setting up windows 95 you know it, it takes 20 minutes or so i mean it took a lot longer than 20 minutes but but you're but you're there and you're completely in control and you don't need any you know um expertise from an engineering team so we have to we have to find the solo staking that user interface that feels like Gmail. That's that's one of our you know objectives. And I don't know if that gives you the texture. If that gives you the yeah. texture that you wanted. It, uh, no, it it definitely does. It definitely does, and it's um it's interesting that that you that you speak about the the user interface and and kind of where you see yourself and your business at this point because. Uh, Albert and I have discussed uh, previously about the kind of like what it takes to be a solo staker and and you know you you sold me on the dream like you are the reason that I am a solo staker um and you and you gave me the the kind of the idealistic pitch about everything that you've just said essentially about being part of the fabric being part of the furniture and and having that stake um in the in the ecosystem in the environment moving forwards and i have to be honest i didn't realize 
the 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 level of uh, maintenance that would be needed for me to be a successful solo staker. Easy enough to be a passive one and an unsuccessful one, um, but yeah. a little bit more time consuming to be a successful solo staker. Um, so, like from a personal perspective, I would be uh, very grateful uh, for an, an enhanced user interface. Um, but no, but I, I digress. No, no, I think that's I think that's super relevant, and I think that it is about um, this. You know, our success is about taking the technical hurdle rate down, and for people not to have to worry about knowing the difference between a cloud formation templates and a Kubernetes config file, and you know, EC2 instances, and and that sort of stuff. That isn't that isn't mass. Part, you know, Gmail doesn't ask that of you, does it? Um, yeah. And you know, if we if we were a bracelet that says what would Gmail do, that perhaps should be <laughs> be our engineering mantra. Um, but I think I think it would uh, it would it, it would be a lie to say that right now um, the journey you've taken is is easy for others to follow. And and the same with Albert. And again, you know, we were talking about um, Albert's engineering past uh, before we joined the call. It's in part because of that engineering past that. You, you you sort of are willing to take um you know move in this direction is it worth it yeah it's really worth it and and the and the forces of centralization and the forces of the user experience and again i don't i'd say this forces as though it's some kind of conspiracy it's not it, it it's just how we consume as humans digital patterns you know Lido is fantastic. Why? Because unlike um, the three of us, if you only have 0.32 Ethereum, you can participate in stake, and that's brilliant. Mm. But the but the, the the efficacy of that user experience has created just a huge um, draw into that form of staking, um, which fundamentally weakens Ethereum if there aren't people doing what what we're all doing, and and on. On top of which, I think the critical bit that is so important in solo staking, and I think this is why this podcast is so useful, is the net network's not static, right? It, it's not about 4%, 6%, 8%. It's about a whole new set of services that are going to be built on top of, of the Ethereum um, consensus layer, right, and the beacon chain. And this staked capital, what it represents and what it can be, and as the as Ethereum grows, like a general purpose technology like the internet does, so it starts being real and meaningful in everyone's day-to-day lives, the idea that the, the node operators and the validators and, and solo stakers are supporting that growth and earning from it. It's not, you know, it's not a financial investment. When you were a solo staker, you were doing the work of updating everyone's copy of the database and securing transactions. And for doing that work, you get paid. And I think that that, that work is going to be fundamentally very, very important. And, and it will be only um, those who are solo staking or you know approximations as close to it as possible that can support that ecosystem growing and then also earn from it, ultimately. JD, I want to go back to a couple of things. Uh, first of all, when you said you had a child and you you felt you felt you had many children, I can totally relate <laughs> to that being a father myself. And I'm in a household with grandchildren, and I just had to blank out my screen and move locations because, yeah, one three year old can seem like a like a handful, and they they are. Um, 
The uh, I wanted to just just for uh, like on the human side, when you set up your first node, um, I know what I did. There is this moment when you have to sort of basically press a button and send your 32 ETH to the contract. And it's almost like no matter, there's, cer there's a certain leap of faith that I, I felt when I did that. And I wonder if that's something that like just, you know, on that human side of, because yeah, when we send an email, maybe the worst thing we do is send a bad email to the wrong person or something, but we don't have uh, money on the line, so to speak. As, no, as totally. Yeah. Totally. It's, it's, I, I absolutely agree. I had that same fear and the whole paradigm's new, right? Like, what are we doing here? Are we, are we running software? Are we doing an investment activity? Like, what is going on? Like, this whole thing's a bit mental. And, and I remember sending Bitcoin in 2013 with the green screen and the, and it, and it was terrifying. Um, and so it, like the, the Ethereum deposit yeah. contract seems like a, like an evolution from there, but not, not by a huge uh, amount, you know. It's terrifying. It's absolutely terrifying. And 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 what are you doing at different points? You're like, so what am I? Am I updating everyone's copy of the database? Who's paying me? Um, when are they paying me? How frequently? Why are they paying me? You know, what, what if someone else you know wants to get paid? Like these questions are, are extremely sort of simple in some ways, but then you know, going back down the rabbit hole to answer them and feel comfortable that you you really understand it and and then you understand it at one level, but then you understand it from an your actual node and like what it's doing and what it's connecting to and all this stuff. I think there's, yeah, there's a lot going on there for sure. So it's terrifying. And and I will add to that in the sense of like, I am a solar staker. I have one node. So I have, I'm lucky enough that I have enough um, sufficient finances to, to fund one node. Um, but, I also have children. I have a spouse. We have to, you know, be aware of how much money we have. And so, when posing, like, oh, I think we should set up this node. It's going to cost us <laughs> this much money. And then, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, you know, spouses saying, oh, well, like, how does it work? Yeah, yeah. Is it a good yeah, idea? Yeah, yeah. Like, and, yeah, yeah. And, like, I don't understand the questions myself. No, no, exactly. I kind of have a handle on it, but then I have to persuade and answer those questions to somebody no, else. Sure. It, um, it's an my wife, process to go through. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My, my wife, or as is affectionately referred to by me and the children as management, um, is uh, it perpetually referred to, you know, my endeavor in crypto and as magic beans. She's like, oh, he's getting so excited about these magic beans. Like, I don't know what you know, whatever that, whatever they are, whatever they're doing, keeps looking at these screens. I don't know what it's all meaningless. Um, but yeah, I think I think that's uh, and actually, I, I'm 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 sort of uh, you know, <laughs> if I'm in a public forum, I should be telling how everyone how fantastic solo staking is, which which it is, um, mm -hmm. and how um, getting getting the user hurdle or getting the getting over the technical hurdle is something. Um, that you should do. I think. I think fundamentally, it, in some ways, it's um, it's a story that we're going to see. Businesses are going to want to build that IP into their operations as they leverage staking into building their own products and services. I think the idea that it it stays at one layer of like you run your node and you either have a node or you've got liquid staking or you've got a node on a platform as a staking as a service provider i think there's going to be much more sophisticated service offering than that and there are banks that are offering you know staking right now i think 
um, you know, firms like Revolut and stuff. And I think that mainstream banks will come to it and mainstream financial institutions will come to it. And as new liquidity and, uh, and new businesses come in, you know, the idea that all things Ethereum have to be all new, all decentralized and all kind of protocol based isn't true. You know, Citibank, Wells Fargo, um, Bank of New York Mellon, these, these companies know a lot about money and financial engineering and products. And the idea that they, they're exclusively bad actors who need to be you know, rejected from the ecosystem wholesale, I think is, is a bit silly and a bit naive. And it's certainly not what we share. We, we actively encourage them coming in because I think that they will um, you know, bring different perspectives, products, services, and, and ultimately allow mass participation. That's that's awesome. Uh, I want to just put, uh, jump in with. I had to do a, a convincing job with my spouse, and um, it it kind of boiled down for me. I said, "Well, okay," because well, she was saying, "You're gonna they're gonna take all your money. You're gonna get you know you're gonna get ripped off." Then I was doing this late night trading, and she was saying, "You're obsessed with it," you know, because I was doing things on the phone late at night. Um, my bottom line, I said, "Listen." You can try to talk me out of this, but what if what if this is like this golden once in a lifetime opportunity? Do you want to be the person that mm-hmm. talked me out of that? And that kind of was the one where we we kind of moved past that conversation. But it is a real conversation that people want to have. Um, so yeah, and, and yeah. I, I just want to reiterate what Jadeep says in the sense of it's great. I'm happy I did it. I was nervous before I did it. Yeah. But like it's all worked out and i'm i'm very happily uh, a member of the solo staking community so like yeah completely happy that i had those conversations that i ran it by the significant other but that we we have ended up where we are yeah good good with, um, Jamie, with re- um with regards to banking uh, there's two ways i view it um eliminating middlemen which is part of what blockchain can do because it is, you know, it has this trust factor kind of built in to me from, if I'm a CEO of a bank, that would be kind of intriguing because that's just sort of like, could we, you know, not, you know, we could be more efficient. We don't need as many people if we have uh, algorithms that are providing trust as opposed to many, many layers of people in a bureaucracy, which is kind of what the traditional bank, model kind of relies upon um in in, in that regard um so I, you know i i i wonder you know what, what maybe some of your thoughts on or or let, can we talk a little bit about this topic of trust and how this plays into what blockchains do in in a certain way um or is that too that may be i mean to me it's something that i hear talked about a lot but it's a very i in some ways trust is a very abstract concept of, of i mean we all know what it is and we use trust all the time but in it's also something that we're not normally talking about all the time but it is kind of integral to um to um ethereum and and blockchains the idea that yeah i, I mean that was right what satoshi said like you well we'll put it like i send you a dollar i give you a dollar you get the dollar. I'm. I. I don't have the dollar anymore. I don't know. If we had to trust each other too much. I guess we have to trust that when I give you the dollar, you give me something in return, and then you won't knock me over the head or something like that. 
Um, no, I think I think I think it's an inherently accurate point about one Satoshi's question was, well, how does that get recorded? And the idea that it's recorded on a database that we all have a copy of, that you can own 0.01 Bitcoin and Tommy can own a million of them, but both of you have the transaction history of every Bitcoin transaction that's ever occurred. Is a, is a, is you know was the was the core core innovation? I think it it came about because of the fact that in two thousand and eight we started understanding that money was political, right? Money was not observed um, or observed physical principles, um, you know, like physics and like much of the economics, um, the maths of economics indicates that it's some kind of you know science. It's not. It it, it it's it's sort of complex storytelling with with maths and, and I think 2008 really revealed that that somehow oh wow you could print all this money and bail out the banks but if if you you know sell sausage rolls and your sausage roll shop is bankrupt you don't tend to be able to print money and you know um Hank Paulson doesn't get called in um so we, this this exposure of understanding how the system works forget forget getting super agitated about whether you like banks or don't like banks or Hank Paulson or not just the idea that we all for, for the first time understood all this stuff about credit crunches and repo markets and money markets and i think that you know blockchains and the trust piece becomes really interesting in a world whereby you are seeing things get very political very political. And the idea now that crypto plays a middleman in itself of saying, actually, let's let's not try and hold too much alliance to a fiat currency exclusively, because that's a that's a really political choice, whether I'm in Renebi, whether I'm in dollars, whether I'm in um, reals or whether I'm in rubles. But actually, I want to stay above that, and I want to transact above that. I think is going to become more. You know, that that's the, that's the the question of how we navigate that is a question of our times, isn't it? Really, and I don't think I'm I'm convinced that it's it's one thing or the other. I think it's a new question for our time and this new techno moneyed space that we're that we're we're living in. Hmm. I think that's that's actually really interesting and something that I've I've not thought about too much and 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 I wonder if I can like use that as a segue to to talk about some of the other use cases because like I I I like using the word ecosystem when it comes to ethereum and when it comes to cryptocurrency because as you've said so many times already uh in the last uh in the next half hour is is talking about growth right and change and it's not static and and so like as an ecosystem there are always new things emerging and and one what i want to get to is is like the different use cases because i think when when people talk about cryptocurrency um blockchain obviously primarily as the first mover but that people are thinking about money and they're thinking about investments and they're either thinking about it as a way of making more money for themselves or they're thinking about it as like is it a potential payment mechanism um but like i want to i want to dig into to some of the other things that cryptocurrency is doing can do and and i know it's something that that you're involved with 
Um, so like I wanted to to delve into impact staking. Um, maybe you can like tell us kind of like what it is, how it works, um, what your involvement with it is um, as a kind of like a as an explanation. Yeah, for sure. I mean, impact staking's as much us as um, solo staking is. I think they're, they're they're part of our DNA. It's what we what we do, um, and simply put what is solo staking what is staking you take a fixed pool of capital and you generate an interest rate in perpetuity based on a growing network needing this validator and this fixed pool of capital to do this work that it keeps getting paid for well in my you know head from an analogy perspective that constitutes a money pipe now the money pipe might one day have a really fast flow if the price of ethereum is high and you know the network's busy and lots of transactions need working some days some days the, the money pipe might have a, a lower flow but what the money pipe always has is a flow of funds coming to it and so the question became what how can you what what problem can you connect this money pipe to um to finance long-term social outcomes that are positive right you know we live in a world whereby um i don't i mean yeah we have some real challenges uh and you can take your pick you don't need to pick you know as the ones we're particularly interested in which is um yeah inequality and and trying to support and fund research into direct cash transfers um climate change and um and and, and connecting um, people to the internet who don't have that, um, and particularly schools. And so we, shortly after we founded, um, we were lucky enough to be the implementation partner in a project with UNICEF and um, the Ethereum Foundation and the government of Rwanda, um, which is relatively well publicized about using a node um, in a solo staking capacity and using the, jet, the returns from that node to pay for internet connectivity in schools. Um, mm -hmm. we're doing some, some really exciting stuff with some, um, other organizations, which hopefully we'll be able to talk about, um, a little bit later, but yeah, that, that simple bit of like, there's a money pipe, what problem are you going to connect it to for the long term? Because the question also in impact staking is not only, oh, let's give money to charity. There are lots of people doing that. There are lots of methods around that. And there's a vast body of thinking around that. What impact staking is saying is, is that what problems are particularly suited to this variable money pipe, as in variable flow money pipe? So internet connectivity, the costs are coming down. It's becoming more ubiquitous. And hopefully impact staking is going to see, you know, an increase in, in, in what staking returns are. And actually, since we started that project, what I think is really interesting, but undesirable ultimately, is that Ethereum lost 50% of its value in that time period, right? So the number of schools that could have been connected versus what they are now with, you know, with the price of Ethereum is 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 something that has to be factored into any model that that, that factors this in. And um, you know, I think it's all work under progress right now. It's not like a it's not like a finished thing that you can drive out the parking lot. You know, we, we're working on what are the right causes to, to kind of fund with this that can handle that variability in funds. What's the governance model? What's the level of open sourceness? That, that needs to be done. And crucially, internet connectivity is also great because you almost, you can pay easily for the data 
that you're coming back from from the you know the internet connection you're getting ping time circuit availability the geography of where the, the circuit is these are all things that you know giga have spent a lot of time thinking about and so it naturally plays to being funded by um but you know by staking but i think other use cases we're going to have to do that work you know when it comes to planting a virtual forest with you know um different organizations that are looking to do that like freedom um how would how would you use um staking returns to do that and um and building out the use cases open sourcing that data so people can learn and build and also crucially impact staking is bigger than us like you know we've we've, we've sown the seed but we want everyone in the in the staking ecosystem to be involved that's lido that's staking as a service provider that's exchanges this is not a this is not a concept that is that complicated nor should it be controlled in any way it should just find a thousand different experiments to to you know uh, propagate hmm. but yes can, we're very excited about it can i do a, a slightly devil's advocate type of question there um yeah. so how would what would the advantage of using ethereum as a money pipe uh mechanism versus something out of traditional finance um, why couldn't somebody just open up a, I don't know, a money market account and give uh, or a CD or something like that and give the interest from that to also go towards, you know, say internet connectivity? What, what would, what's the, what's some of the differences there? I think that the difference is the operational nature of the activity of Ethereum staking. So, it's not an investment activity whereby you buy a security and you hope it goes up in value and then the investment of the dividend, the interest rate or a dividend, you then give away. You're performing an investment activity and then you're giving away the returns, potential returns from that investment activity. In staking, you're doing some operational work, right? You're mm -hmm. committing the capital which gives you the right to stake. You're doing the work of updating everyone's copy of the database and securing the network. And for doing that operational work, you're paid. So it's like going to McDonald's and giving 50% of your salary um, you know, away. And that's the difference from it's it's operational, it's an operational activity that's very tangible and, and extremely transparent. So, you know, let's say that um, you were to take in a particular investment. There's a certain point at which that investment becomes a black box and is like, well, I really trust BlackRock and I think their products have historically given a good yield and I'm making this decision based on faith. Whereas with earning money from staking, you're saying, I'm doing this work. I'm, I've put the capital up. I'm, I'm making sure my box is running the right software and is configured optimally. And I've made these choices about, you know, using Flashbot's MEV to earn some extra to, you know, to do that bit of extra work over time shift. Um, I'm going to use and connect into things like Eigenlayer when they come about and alive to earn some more. I'm doing some more overnight shifts, whatever. Um, and from these shifts, I'm, I'm going to give some of that money away. So it's, and, and anyone who wants to understand how that money has been generated can really easily do that. Um, and, and there's there's very little in that that's that's black box, whereas investment activity ultimately at some point comes back down to someone else's IP in an investment capacity earning you that return. Mm -hmm. And I guess from a mechanism point of view, 
for example, if I was to, or any solo staker was to say, well, I like this idea. I want to send some of my returns to help the connectivity of schools in Rwanda. Maybe after a year of doing it, I, I still retain ownership of my ETH. It's kind of, I redirect the returns and I, I could always say, well, okay, uh, I did that for two years and now I want to do another project or maybe I need it for some other personal no, I think you've I think you've highlighted a point that I really missed. The idea that when you impact stake, you you don't give away your principal, you give the staking returns is a fundamentally different idea. And actually going back to that, you know, point of we live in political times, I think that there's a real question about is this a new way to finance very large things? Um, because actually instead of a loan to build a port you could have you know 15 20,000 nodes pointing to that port being built for three years and guess what you got to help hit the port milestones um and those that number of nodes can finance the cash flow of a port being built um and what does the governance on that look like are you taking out a loan are you taking out you know what is this obligation of you receiving staking returns for a period of time how do you define that how is that governed and you know we've been we've been in some early stage um thinking with some different academics around that but i think they're really interesting questions and part of what we have to build hearing you talk has has raised a a question that I've always had about the impact staking. And it's actually, it's raised a different and a new question that I hadn't thought of before. And I'll start with the new one because I think it's maybe more interesting, at least for me. Um, I mean, you've been talking a lot about the nodes doing work, right? It's not like, it's not an investment where it just sits there and and does what it does. It, it's it's working. Yeah, it's not trading. And yeah, exactly. It's not doing trading. It's working. Yeah. Yes, yeah. it's working. Um, but part of working is there's a there's a cost associated with making sure it's working mm -hmm. in whether that's like a human resources cost or um you know an it hardware cost or mm -hmm. electrical and so the, the the balance of that that cost versus what you get out of it and and who who that person is because the node works but somebody works to make the node work as well right cool. and so i would i would imagine that's that that's a consideration that needs to be factored into the the architecture of how it's all arranged and set up no it it, it certainly is and i think that the, the the question that also follows on from that in my head is that does it become more and more of an embedded commoditized base layer thing that is being done by everyone to, to varying different degrees um and then you know do you have it, it's a layered cake whereas that's layer one and base and right now it's interesting and exciting and innovative and whatever but you know by the time uh, this podcast is 10 years old it'd be like oh, oh, oh do you remember when we used to talk about staking as though it was like you know some kind of like sending an email you know i think that's there's an there's an inevitability in in my um in my 
in my head about how we, you know, we saw what Web two, you know, that that journey. Some of those journeys are are, are about the inherent nature of digital systems. They're not anything. Web three and blockchain and Ethereum isn't going to see anything different. Um, it's going to see those same patterns emerge. Uh, and I think it's still it's still out whether uh, you know, in 1996, you know, data center companies and the companies that sold bandwidth were treated as being part of the internet economy. By 2006, or even by four, it was very clear that the application builders firms were the ones who were going to take all this money. You know, no one cares about bandwidth companies anymore. Um, and so within the within the Web3 stack and within the Ethereum stack, where does it sit? It's really interesting. And within staking as well is, is that, you know, can you have 100 Lidos, which is what's being kind of talked about now in terms of, you know, there are loads of different liquid staking providers. Um, or actually, is there some real inherent first mover advantage? And again, you know, we're talking the solo staking podcast, we're talking so much about Lido, but but I think it makes sense. They're they're, they're the monster in the room. Um, they they're a protocol, right? If you if you want to send them a letter, it's not it's not like writing to Coca Cola, um, or or, or Blockdemon for that matter, or or Coinbase. Um, it, you know, they're a protocol, permissionless protocol governed by a DAO, a decentralized autonomous organization. And so all of these new concepts um, mean that, I suppose, the real answer to your question is I have no idea. But I think I, I know I, I have no idea how it ends up stacking up. Hmm. Well, that, that's, that's what... I, I, let me jump in there. I, I want to, this is going off on a tangent, but it's something that me and Albert have talked about before. When you say that Lido is a protocol, like I, I don't really know what you mean when you say that. And I I would love yeah, for you to kind yeah. of explain to me in layman's terms what that really means. Yeah, for sure. Um, it's actually really simple. Is that it's a smart contract. It's a, it's a it's software that's been written to smart contracts that are deployed on the Ethereum blockchain. And then the user interface you do when you say you I want I've got 0.2 Ethereum and I want to stake it on Lido is a is a user interface that interacts with those smart contracts and invokes them. And the 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 Lido protocol as a treasury gets paid every time its smart contracts are used. Um, and the network, Ethereum, has to process those smart contracts and, and make them work. And so it charges a fee. And so it's part of that growth of the network. The more usage, it's like Gmail coming online or Facebook coming online. Now, all of a sudden, the internet's even more busy, right? In the same way, Lido is a protocol that uses Ethereum and you know works to support it in its base layer. But it's when, when someone says it's a protocol and it's permissionless, it means that the business, the logic of it has been written in smart contracts. And those smart contracts run on the blockchain. And then you have a user interface into those smart contracts. Um, and that's how it works. And and what's really amazing about that is how efficient it is to build things in that way in terms of the amount of code you have to write um, and, and you know, compared to trying to do another Google, right? But at the very top of the tree, Mr. Lido is still sat there going, oh, he, 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 let me count all my money because there's so many Lido nodes um, that are generating those 
like the, the, the what what you were talking about. Yeah, I don't I don't want to be. I'll, I'll, I'll let's let's go before I'm you know become this libel love fest. Uh, when I first you know understood proof of stake, and if you remember back in 2019, 2020, it was Rocket Pool that looked like they had a model that was going to allow mass participation with, with less than 32 ETH, right? That's only how I saw it, right? And when Lido came along, I was like, are you out of your mind? Who is going to give like a clean, pure ETH and get some kind of shitcoin for it that says staked ETH or whatever? Like, that's crazy. That's never going to work. <laughs> Again, <laughs> you know, lessons in being wrong. Um, and again, it, it, you know, they they created a deep pool of liquidity. They had, you know, people who really understood and had an incredible vision for this. And they put that liquidity there. And so, yeah, it works. It works. And, 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 and it's a super compelling user experience. It, it's it's almost parasitical now. And in the, it's, it's almost, I think, become too effective for its own good. Um, and, and there needs to be some redress. And, and people, again... I don't, coming back to the Occupy Wall Street bit, I'm not a big for moaning. Um, you you got to build, right? you got to build something that competes and, and provides a service to people that's useful that means that they can participate as well. So I think that's that's the job of, of, of the ecosystem as you define it to do. I think it's an example also of the power of code and particular in finance um, because it's based finance is really information and, and code deals with information. And so apparently it's possible to write, and that's what Ethereum allows, right? Is coding into this financial system and clever people are able to come up with all sorts of things. So what we're talking about now is the ability to almost automatically through code put up and I guess take down um, staking nodes, but but you know it's only up to the imagination of of uh, programmers and and people that can dream up business cases of what else could be done. This yeah. automated, just fully automated system. No, agreed. And I think that the, to Tommy's point about like what does it mean to be a protocol? You know, let's move on from Lido <laughs> and talk about Compound. Right, Compound's um, a money market. Now, again, going back to you know 2008, a money market is something that only a sophisticated financial institution with not even millions, probably billions of dollars could use, right? In that I've got uh, a short-term need to borrow, you know, X hundred million dollars. I've got a surplus for 12 hours of X billion dollars and it, it all matches out, right? Um, now you can do it with $50, all $500 million um, using the compound protocol. And it's taken innovation that was available only to super sophisticated um, investors and institutions and, and democratize that. So again, th this idea of the protocol and what it means to embed your idea and your business into smart contract logic, and then that logic pays you for the time it's useful, um, and then when it's not useful, it either morphs and, and, and into something else, or it goes away, or it becomes this new bit of infrastructure in 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 a permissionless decentralized you know blockchain. And I don't think I don't think that's necessarily um, understood because it actually completely challenges the idea of a business in its own right, like and the away day and the t-shirt. 
right? When, you, when, when all you're writing is smart contracts and you're like, yeah, and when it stops being useful, stop getting paid and we'll move on, right? You're like, wow, okay, I get it. So, and, and everyone's getting paid in, in a DAO structure for doing particular chunks of work and whatever. And it, it, it's, a, it's a totally new formulation, really. So I shouldn't be saying that it's just smart contracts, what the, what the protocol is. The whole new sort of different model of what, what a business and like a collective endeavor of a group of people coming to try and build something looks like. Hmm. I'm having almost like an aha moment here. Um, right, way, way, way back in the day, I used to write code for automating different things, mostly in spreadsheets. But I, I was a whiz at that. I could write some really mean VB uh, macro code, and it would it would do stuff. And I I used to think, you know, it would be great if I could just get paid each time this code runs. And <laughs> I I think that's kind of like kind of what a smart contract in some ways is sort of exactly you know, it's like yeah. a very specific thing and when it's used the creators of it get something is that no it's true yeah and i think i think again going back to the real world and why i'm excited and and and, and terrified in the work of, of what we're doing is we've got to get people participating right the the asymmetry in knowledge around this is is a problem and i think it's it's great you know this podcast hopefully helps to, to to some extent to share some of these ideas. But um, if if it only sits in the hands of of a very few, that's not great, right? And and you actually read my mind, JD. That's exactly where I was wanting to go. Um, like you know, we the three of us in this conversation, we're all solo stakers. We're in the solo staking world. We're happy to be here. Um, and we understand the, the 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 role that we play in the decentralized ecosystem, right? And how crucial it is that it's decentralized. And so we have these monsters in the room, and we want to have more of us, right? We want to have more pussycats in the room. How do we how do we incentivize and market the not not just your services, but this way of being in the ecosystem how, how how do we evangelize how do we get it out there the, like come on in the water's fine i think i think bizarrely it's not what you you might think because you know you think it's some kind of sort of kumbaya campfires i think it's small business you know i think that's that's mm-hmm. perhaps the answer is that you know, for you, after a few years of doing this, go, actually, you know what? Like, I know enough about this and I'd want my family um, and close friends to to have exposure to this. Um, I don't want to, you know, run a fund or whatever, but we'll have a consultancy contract and I'll I'll take their Ethereum and however much they can afford and, and aggregate it. And I see, and we see different crypto businesses that are forming that are small that want to use staking as a base layer, but they want to solo stake, right? They don't want to give it to a, another platform and they don't want to give it to Lido. They they want to be part of the core network and have innovations that they can upsell and, and and create. And I think I think that's what it is. I think it's small businesses that want to that want to be built and want to innovate and have their own trusted relationships with capital that will deploy to them. Um, and it's 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 that it's that muscle that I I think um, that, that that builds. And then again, which isn't sort of um, as, as folksy, but I think you know, Citibank, 
Goldman Sachs um, won't stay out of this forever um, whilst there's a 9% yield on solo staking, right? Um, it, it, it's likely they're going to want to come in and they've got useful value to contribute and, and, and partake. Um, and, and when, and when I, they do end, when they do enter and they enter, as you were saying, like funding the construction of ports with 20,000 nodes, can we yeah. call them loan stakers? Can we call them solo stakers? Yeah, I think it comes, I think it comes back down to this point about the the non-static nature of the network. Maybe none of us will be able to call ourselves solo stakers in four years' time, right? And maybe <laughs> Goldman Sachs will write their own client software. I mean, they wrote their own version of Java, right? It's called Slang. So maybe they'll they'll build their own Ethereum um, client. Maybe that you know. And and so the, the idea that you know there's a grand unified theory of everything that you can you know here's the deck. This is what it looks like. I, I my my conviction in that it was certainly my ability to write that deck is gone. But I'm sure there are others who you would still love to give it a go. Um, but I'm I'm totally out on that. So I think it is a case of just staying on the surfboard, really, to some extent. Um, but but small businesses definitely end up being a route that we're tangibly seeing who want to participate as solo stakers and want to do it with, you know, starting off with 50, 100 nodes, um, and then uh, and then build that out as they build their businesses. I think that's that's something we see. Well, that's that is um, fascinating in so in so many different ways, and um, I I don't know if we want to go um, much longer. Maybe want to touch on this this um, newfangled thing that has come come down the pike um, that uh, Tommy alluded to at the very beginning. Um, not not too deep because I think we might lose some of our. Uh, I, I, it'll go over my head very quickly. I listened to a different podcast on this topic, like like I did my final exam in engineering school, and I'm still I'm still trying to wrap my mind around it. But you know, this idea of 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 just utilizing the network and the resources and the computers and the and the the built in trust and 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 doing other things with it like in there yeah that's the one <laughs> yeah can you talk a little bit about that for us yeah happy to it's 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 nine o'clock at night where i am so i'm there's a natural curtail in my need to talk about extracted pools of capital but basically as solo stakers you get to it's a real meaningful opportunity for you to make a lot more money than someone else who's taking in another way and the basic principle of that is that these other blockchains that have tried to recreate validator software and coins and ICOs that then incentivize. Remember, why have you got coins for Ethereum? Um, it's to incentivize the database being shared. Right? Like everyone having a copy of it and keeping it in sync requires incentivization. And so the idea that Ethereum's done this great job of incentivizing everyone and has got whatever i think um 50 billion dollars 60 billion dollars of ethereum stake that pool of capital and that trust would be leveraged by other people who want to build blockchains who now don't have to worry about the the the, the validators and the coins and they can just focus on that you know that chain's utility 
you know, and issue a, an ERC token on the back of it, and then that feeds back into you know Ethereum, um, or even potentially uh, uh, you know a different a different uh, coin to incentivize its use. But that then means now, as a solo staker, you're like, oh, I'll offer my capital through Eigenlayer, which is the protocol, rather than it being kind of ad hoc through Eigenlayer. I'll offer it to other chains, and those other chains will pay me in those coins. And if those chains are useful. And now all they have to do to be useful is just focus on the utility, not any of this validator logic and um, and and code and, and capital. It gives them a much better fighting chance, but it, it creates a, a sort of massive um, earning opportunity for for those solo stakers. Well, so, so, so we outsource our trust and our work to another layer, and they outsource the the work that we do to us so it's like a symbiotic relationship yeah, yeah that's it. and and all of a sudden they've got the ability to say actually i've got all these people doing this work and securing my network and and and, and the utility of our blockchain and if you look at the quality of the software on other chains and we work with with all of them and you look at the level of centralization of, of how those chains run um it, it's just it's no need. There's no need, and it's it's a great in, invention. It's not without its controversies. Um, and um, I try and avoid reading um, too much of the uh, you know the, the what I don't want you to call it other than gods of our tribe in in terms of um, those people who founded the chains and Vitalik, etc. But I think. There's some obvious questions I've got about it in terms of how it works, and we'll we'll see how it works. Um, but is the idea inherently interesting, and uh, and incentivize again this decentralization? Because again, Eigenlayer has been clever in that they they want to capture and support Lido stakers and Rocket Pool stakers, but those people will inherently earn less than a than a native staker. Right? Um, so yeah, look. It's an interesting idea, and again, it, it, it's a non-static network, right? There's, there's, there's possible. And then the next question becomes: Is well, why don't you have? I'm like eigenlayer. I'm like eigenlayer squared, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, um, I'm going to take eigenlayer. How many, la- how <laughs> right. many layers right. deep do you want to go oh, down? Oh, right. mm. Yeah, and and, it, and and then you give them like how many CDOs squared do you want to go? Right? I think we got to CDO cube before. The entire financial world melted down, and uh, and yeah, Lehman Brothers collapsed. But yeah, these and I've, I've talked about it in a in a in a blog post multiple times that even with Ethereum, you, you know, it's financial engineering a lot of it, and that financial engineering has some super positive aspects, namely that you and I can get an interest rate by doing this work without a bank and an intermediary. Um, that mm-hmm. you know, we could have access with fifty dollars to money market functionality that fifteen years ago is never available without fifty billion dollars. Super positive innovations, but it also comes with the idea that these aren't regulated, um, that people can you know be defrauded easily. Um, and the next question is, what actual practical utility is it serving in the real world to real people in meat space? Right? Is the it, you you can't keep engineering your way to returns that are, you know no one can understand and that are completely abstracted and that don't you know improve and make meaningful living on earth 
breathing oxygen, wanting to have children, dogs, cats. So there's got to be some some real world utility. Uh, so, yeah, people are finding um, in there uh, for sure. Yeah, because if they can't find it, then then it's it's not it's not going to have value, and 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 uh, then you know something else will get invented in its place. Um, clearly, clearly, a solo staker is someone who somewhere in their bones says this is meaningful. This has value. I mean, maybe, maybe, uh, you know, we were convinced and hyped into something, but I, 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 I feel personally that it's a lot deeper than that. It's just sort of understanding how the world works over a lifetime and saying, wow, this is something new, different. And, and I can understand why it would be valuable. And, um, so I'm I'm uh, I'm still uh, bullish about uh, Ethereum and 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 staking. And that new things come up, but of course they do have to have have to have uh, a real world uh, value connected with them. Yeah, I think so. And I think I look forward to listening to other guests on your podcast with their perspectives because I think you know mine's 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 one. Um, and uh, you know we've 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 gone relatively far and wide, but. For you guys, one of the things that I'd be really interested in asking is, is that as solo stakers, um, you know, in very much the, you know, doing uh, doing the minority sport, what are you most excited about as solo stakers? In the next 12 months, let's say. No, let's I, I, I'll, take, I'll take one on that. Um, I mean, well, from, from staking point of view, uh, I just, I like, you know, it's, it is kind of minimal amount of effort returns come in every once in a while you get a, a sort of a, a little boost of income that is very nice and um it's a learning like i you know in order to understand this i felt like i had to have some skin in the game and and so you know i just find it fascinating from a intellectual point of view also just to sort of pay attention and 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 be so by the yeah by the boost Albert, do you mean yeah. you, as in getting an execution layer return? Yes, something called an execution layer okay. return, right? And, and and then, Tommy, does life feel different now? It's not just pretend money on a validator node, but it's real money coming into a wallet. Like, what's well, what's your collective? well? It's interesting actually because when you asked that question, I like went into my brain and I was like, oh my, how do I answer that question? Um, and and it's interesting because. One of my realizations, I think it was today, it was in the last couple of days, is that since the upgrade whereby withdrawals are happening and, you know, my MetaMask wallet is getting a little deposit every four days, I, I realized I've stopped looking at what the value of Ethereum is. And all I care about is, is my validator node running. Because Amazing. as long as it's running, I know that every few days I'm going to get Amazing. that little parachute payment. And I just, like, I don't really care what the value of Amazing. Ethereum is on a, on a day-to-day basis. Yeah. Of course, yeah, in yeah, the yeah, long yeah. term, I yeah, want it. Yeah, in yeah. 10 years' yeah, yeah. time, I want it to be worth 50000 But, yeah. like, yeah. whether today or tomorrow it's 16 or 18 or 20, like, it, I, and I've stopped yeah, looking at it. And so I think that's that's what, that's what excites me over the next like 12 months. I, I've, I've mentioned this to Albert previously. Like, 
one of the big things that excited me was this idea of like you set it up and then it just does its thing use money yeah it, it, it's needed more maintenance than I thought when I very first went into it, but it's still there's a level of like you set and you forget and it yeah. just does its thing. And I like that. Um, but now with the withdrawals, that's um, I find that exciting. And one of the, I, I tell you, one of the things that I'm, I guess, not scared of, but somewhat anticipating is that like now that I'm getting these parachute payments, I've got to figure out what I do with this stuff. Because it's not like having a node is easy, right? You've got 32 there and it just does its thing. But like, I'm very, very slowly accruing a little bit more and a little bit more that's not on the node. And now I've got to decide what to do with it. And I don't know what to do with it. And I'm too lazy and busy with other things to put the effort into making that decision. But I guess that's something to look forward to. Buy me a margarita next time you see if you <laughs> if you're looking for things to do. That's uh, that's uh, put that on the to do list for sure. Okay, you're on. Oh sure. Um, this has been a fascinating discussion with a, someone who is really a leader in the solo staking space, JD Court. And um, so, really grateful. Thank you so much, JD, for for sharing your insights with us. Thanks for having me, guys. It's been a real pleasure. Thank you so much, JD. Always a pleasure. Yeah. Take care. Cheers, fellas. Thank you for tuning in. We really appreciate you sharing our crypto journey. Please send us a message via thelonestakers at gmail.com and make sure to like, subscribe, follow, and mash that bell button so you never miss an episode. The Lone Stakers Podcast. Everywhere you find podcasts. This has been a Drop Tent Media Production.